Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Excited to be in God's house and celebrating Him. Uh, well, I uh, am going to continue in our series of Acts this morning, but then take a little pause for a Christmas series after that. But just going into this morning's text, I realized something that I really dislike TV series that leave you hanging in between seasons. Anybody else hate that? Anybody, any This Is Us fans out there that are a little annoyed with where things were just recently left off? I remember one of the, the shows that was probably the very worst at doing this. Do you guys remember that show Lost? They, were, they always did that. Man, like what happens if they stop punching in the code, if they don't hit enter? What's going to happen? Is the whole world going to blow up? What's the, what does the black smoke have to do with anything? Like there are all these questions that you're left with. And I realized on accident, I kind of left you all hanging in the story of Stephen. Do you remember this? We were in the, the account of Acts, which is the account of the early church. It's just kind of going story by story. And things are escalating where there's the favor of man had kind of shifted, where they're receiving favor amongst the people. And all of a sudden, Stephen is brought before the high court, the highest court of the land, the Sanhedrin. And he has these false accusations against him. And literally, his life is on the line. Really how this, this court scene plays out is going to determine whether he lives or dies. And so it was left, he has all these accusations, and then we went and ate turkey. We took a break, we, we took a pause, leaving Stephen with his life on the line. And so I apologize for that. This morning, we're going to continue in the story of Stephen, where he's had these false accusations, just to recap a little bit. Basically, they've accused him of three things, all three punishable by death. The first one is that he blasphemed Moses. Moses was a personal favorite back then. That was one of the people that they really held in high regard and celebrated. They also had accused him of blaspheming the law. This was a people group, the Jews at that time, that really celebrated the law and following it to every letter, every T, making sure they're covering everything. And then the, the third one was also that he had blasphemed the temple, which is the place where they worshiped, a place that they really also held in high regard. So all three of these punishable by death. And so we're left literally at the beginning of this chapter. You can start turning there now. Acts chapter 7, with a simple question that the high priest asked them, are these things so? In other words, all these things have been said about you, Stephen. What is your response? And he's left standing there, literally with his life in the balance. And how will he respond? I would suggest not maybe the way that any one of us would respond to false accusations brought against us, but he chooses to go with literally a history lesson. He walks them through all the way back from, from Abraham, their very first ancestor, all the way and brings them to the Messiah. And all of that showing a pattern, because some of you may have read this section of scripture before and said, what in the world are they talking about? All of that showing a pattern of missing it. A pattern of missing. What do I mean by missing it? Missing God's provision and his sent rescuer to them just one after another. They missed it here. They missed it here. They missed it there. And all the way ultimately to the kind of appeal to them, don't, you've missed it for so long. Don't miss the Messiah now. So we're going to get a, a chance to explore that this morning. But before we do, I want to make sure that we're playing on a level playing field 
Because I would suggest before we start getting too judgmental of the Jewish people to recognize that we have the propensity to miss it too. Anybody not real good with things that are supposed to be obvious? Things are like blatantly right in front of you and you're like, yeah, I kind of missed that. We're going to try a silly exercise of counting the passes on a ball. Try this out real quick. All right, all right. Since we're in church here, it's time to come clean. How many didn't see the gorilla? How many didn't see? Well, nice. Way to be honest. That's the, the first test. Now, now for those of you, I don't know how, I, I did this, and I was like, what gorilla are they talking about? Anybody else like that? I totally didn't see it. And then secondly, if you're uh, so impressive that you saw the gorilla, uh, did you see the color change curtain? Anybody see both, gorilla and color change? How about the person leaving? Forget that. So basically, when I took this test, I got 15 passes, so I was wrong there. I missed the gorilla, I missed the change of curtain, and I missed, so basically if there's anyone that I'm preaching to about missing it, like clearly I'm the one that this message is for. So excited to see this in the text that literally sometimes a gorilla can be right in front of us, but we can be so caught up in our own agenda and the own things going on in our world and life and completely miss it. Let's pray this morning that we don't through this text. God, thank you so much for this chance to be together and be in your house and worshiping you. Man, what a gift. And even just the volunteers and everyone putting together the, the, the feel and everything moving towards Christmas. And really, as we think about that, that's kind of on our mind as well, not missing it this season, God, with the celebration of your birth. God, I ask that you'd invade this time now, that you'd be speaking through your word, that you'd be great and I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right. So we're in chapter 7, and this is a big block of scripture. And so I, the nice thing of doing Thursday night services is I've learned something, is when I read large blocks of scripture, people glaze over. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to do a little bit of summary of sections in this. You're welcome to read along as I'm talking, but I'm not going to read all of it. Is that fair? So we're going to start here in chapter 7, verse 1. I already mentioned this was the question that Stephen is asked, are these things so? And look in verse 2 at his first response. It says, and Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. I stopped there just for a brief second because of this. I want to point out the tone because this is very important, in which he's communicating to these accusations. Do you see the level of respect that he shows? He refers to the people that are making false accusations against him as brothers and fathers, terms of respect. He's also very careful to make sure that as they're talking about blasphemy, that he's also making sure that he's appropriately uh, referring to God himself. He says, the God of glory. So right out of the gates, he's making sure that it's with respect in this tone. So make sure as we're reading this, we understand that's kind of the foreground. Then in uh, verses 3 through 8, he starts by recounting the history of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, starting all the way back. You remember the story of Abraham. He starts all the way back at the beginning with Abraham, moves down the family line in verses 3 through 8, talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He gets to Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. You might remember that story. One of them was chosen that they didn't necessarily like the idea of Joseph 
being this celebrated character within the family. So he points out, you notice he uses the word patriarchs, because this would be an unpopular thing here. He's telling them, some of the people that you consider patriarchs that you celebrated, they rejected or missed God's provision through Joseph. So Joseph is the very first example that he's using here to point to a trend of rejecting God's provision. Are you tracking with me? So this is the very first example you see in verse 9. He says, And the patriarchs, talking about these brothers, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. So despite, he's bringing up this point, despite your rejection of Joseph, God still did awesome things for, through, in, through him and in his life, raised him to the level of reigning or ruling over Egypt, pretty awesome thing. But don't miss the fact, and this is his big idea that you're going to see through the whole text here, that they rejected him, not me. They, they missed it. They're the ones that, that, that blew it all the way back then. So that's his very first example as he's talking about them. And I like that he uses language like, our fathers. In other words, this I'm not throwing you guys under the bus. This is my ancestors too, as Stephen's speaking. This is my ancestors too. We're all in this together. To me, that was a great reminder just as we interact with people and we're addressing people, even sharing the gospel, making sure that when we address somebody's sin, you throw yourself under the bus with them. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. None of us. We all are in need of a Savior, so he's clear to make sure He's throwing himself under the bus as well. Verse 20, so they missed it with Joseph. Now he's pointing to his next example. Look at it in the text. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. I see here that he's very careful to show the utmost respect, because remember, who did they say he blasphemed against? About Moses, about the law, and about the temple. So he starts the conversation talking about Moses, making sure that he points with the most respect, but then also moving ultimately to the fact that they did the exact same thing with Joseph that they did with Abraham. They rejected him even when he was in clear, uh, plain view, a gorilla, if you will. But the man who was wronging his neighbor, verse 27, thrust him aside saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you, do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptians yesterday? He continues in verse 35 to say the same thing. This Moses, whom you rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. You guys know that story. And he goes on to talk about all the, thing, the things that Moses ended up doing that were amazing signs of God's favor and hand on him. So again, pointing to, two, to the same big idea. You missed it with Joseph. You missed it with Abraham. Are you seeing this? Now here, as we personalize this, I think it's important to understand because it's easy to look back at some of these stories and be like, man, what does it take to get their attention? Why do they miss it so often? But think about your own testimony, your own story with God, all the things that God had to do to get your attention. 
to literally get you to finally humbly bend a knee before him and say, God, I, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I'm a sinner. I, I, I acknowledge, I accept what you did for me on the cross. Every single one of us, I think if we did an open mic, would have a story of, man, God had to do this to get my attention. He had to do this. So let's not be too judgmental of the Jewish people. We're not necessarily quick to receive that. I was thinking of one story, a fun one. I actually shared it before, but so many people have come to this church in the last couple of years. It'll be a new story for a lot of you. Uh, a guy named Keith that I had gotten to know for a, a number of uh, years, I had an opportunity to be for, for like an hour to lay out the gospel from start to finish with him. Got to kind of talk through him, talk through his story and all, even pointing out ways that God had, uh, even in his own story, had reached out to him. The end of the conversation, I could, I could tell like God was working on Keith's heart. I was like, man, he might even be ready to embrace Christ right now. So at the end of the conversation, I was like, hey, Keith, is this a decision you want to make? Are you, wanna, are you ready to give your life to Christ? Is that what you're, you're wanting to do? I'm just throwing that out there. It sure seems like you're, uh, you're drawn to this. He's like, you know what, Scott? He's like, I, I don't know. I need to give this a little bit more thought, I think. So since it's kind of the moment, I'm like, well, definitely, Keith, I don't want to push you on this for sure. I said, but can you do me a favor? I said, I knew he had a long commute on his way to uh, each day to work, and I was like, can you do me a favor and turn off your radio on your drive to work over the next seven days, I knew I was going to see him in a week, and I'm going to pray that God just brings these things to mind, that he reminds you of this, that he pursues you, and, and, and that he chases you down, and basically that he won't leave you alone. At first, he looks at me, and he's like, uh, sure, I guess, like crazy preacher man, and, uh, and, and so, but he's like, all right, fine, let's, let's do it. So Monday comes and, and goes, didn't hear anything from Keith, was just praying, all right, God, just make yourself real in his life, pursue him, do what you got to do to get his attention. Tuesday came, no, no word from Keith. I was like, all right, man, I, I don't know what's happening there, but maybe it'll make it through the week. On Wednesday, I get a call from Keith with never heard so much desperation in a person's vo in a voice. He's like, Scott, he's like, you gotta stop praying for me. He won't leave me alone. I can't get him out of my mind. I can't. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Prayer works. And, uh, and, and as I was talking to him, I'm like, I was like, so are you ready to make that decision? It seemed like you, he's like, absolutely. Where can we meet? I'm, can, I can meet you. I can drive and meet you. We met together, prayed, he embraced Christ. Literally still to this day, he's following Jesus. Pretty cool to see that sometimes God has to hammer us over the head, anybody have that testimony? In order to get our attention, that's what he did with Keith. Unfortunately, in this story, they just keep missing it, missing it, missing it. So they missed it with Joseph, they missed it with Moses, and now he's moving the conversation to a little bit of a subtle appeal to another area that they had uh, made false accusations about him. They also missed it with the law. Look in verse 38. This is the one, talking about Moses, who was in the, the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles, the law, to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. Do you catch there what it's saying? This guy Moses brought you the law, and before you had even seen it or heard it, you were ready to rush back to the gods of Egypt that you had been set free from. 
He's saying, you're talking about me blaspheming, Stephen's saying, you're talking about me blaspheming the law? You rejected it before you even got it. Like, do, do you not see this trend in your life of hearing, having God's provision, and then rejecting it? So he's pointing to three different things so far. And do you see how this is a little bit of a subtle defense of the accusations against him? I'm not the one that rejected the law. You're the one that rejected the law. He goes on in that section to describe that it wasn't just before they'd received it that they rejected the law. He says it was also afterwards. You went back and he names the gods that they start worshiping. He's like, even when you're in the promised land, you continued to reject the law. This would have been really hard if you think about it in this, this courtroom scene. All these people that take very uh, take great pride in what? Their ability to follow the law. This is a people group that really held the law in high esteem and following it to every letter, every T. And he's telling them, hey, you rejected it before you got it. You rejected it after you got it. But before we're, again, too quick to judge isn't that similar for us? We can have God's full provision. They Remember, they were in the promised land and still go back to the old stuff, the old sin nature, the old things that used to appeal and forget that we're, wait a second, we're in the middle of God's kindness. Last week for uh, Thanksgiving, uh, we did a little beach excursion. It was so fun that last week when it was like 85 and sunny down in, uh, in uh, Zuma. Anybody else do a little beach day, either Thursday, Friday? Uh, a couple of people. And uh, uh, it, was, it was beautiful. It was just magnificent. They had uh, just perfect water. It was a little chilly. Uh, but dolphins going by. The sunset was incredible. Some people even maybe saw some pictures of it. We were down there. It's so funny, as we're in the middle of it, we're there just fully enjoying the day. We had some family and friends around. We're hanging out down there, looking at the skyline, watching the sun start to set. I look over, and my son Chase, who's 12 years old, is sitting on, on a beach chair, and he's got a towel pulled over his head and in the middle of this beauty. We're like, what in the world are you doing? I look under the towel. We're like, Chase, what's wrong? Is it, did, did my son die here on the beach? Like, what's going on? I look underneath. He's, guess what he's doing? He's reading a book. He's reading a book. I'm like, what in the world? Who reads books on a beautiful... Well, maybe you book readers are like, that's not so bad. You could wish worse things on somebody. But my son's in the middle of the beauty and majesty all around him, going back to uh, whatever novel he's reading right now. And you're like, what in the world? You're totally missing it in the midst of God's splendor, his majesty. And that's the same thing that he's saying to them. In the middle of God's provision of the law, the guardrails that were going to keep you safe, keeping you from crashing. In the middle of all that, you're missing it. You went back to the old gods of Egypt. He's saying, I'm not the one that blasphemed the law. Our ancestors did and continue to do from then forward. Again, making his seal-proof case that they missed all of these things. They also, verse 44, missed it. Remember the third area that they confronted him with? That he had blasphemed the temple. He also says, you also missed it with the temple. What does it say here in verse 44? Our fathers had the tents of witnesses in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua, 
when they dis- dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for God, the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. Listen to this. This is the big idea here. Verse 48. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all of these things? So what is he pointing out here? That would be easy to miss if you don't pay careful attention. Basically, they had confronted him about blaspheming in the temple. He's pushing it back on them, saying, you're the ones that have misunderstood what the temple was supposed to be. The temple is just a place to point to God. It's not literally the box in which we can find him. You see, before them, Solomon understood this. I love this passage here in 1 Kings. This is what Solomon said when he finished building the temple. Listen to his words. It says, but, the, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? In other words, before them, they understood it was just a house made by hands. And that's the point that he's saying. It's not me that's blaspheming the temple. He says, it's not me that's blaspheming the temple. They're blaspheming the temple by trying to confine Almighty God in this tiny box, like trying to confine Almighty God in this tiny box. So I was trying to personalize that a little bit. Don't we do the same thing by trying to confine God in a box? We have a nice, very manageable version of God, or at least I would confess that I do. I was thinking about this this week, just kind of ways that I keep Him in a box. And I was thinking, I don't know what it is for you, but I settle too often for reasonable goals and workable plans. Anybody else resonate with that? I settled for reasonable goals and workable plans. If there's something very logical and doable, that's what I bring before God. I, I, I don't enough or often enough come to him with things that are unreasonable impossible. God-sized request, I like, I'm like, well, that's doable. We'll move forward with that. Instead, I run it through the Scott filter rather than the God filter. Anybody else do that with your plans and with what God can do in your life? Okay, I guess I'm the only one that does that. Uh, but, but here's the, the idea. We, my, my family, we moved into a new neighborhood this uh, past summer. We've been very blessed, very grateful. But we moved from a townhome community where we knew everybody. Everybody's out all the time, mingling, hanging out all the time, and uh, spending time. We had lots of great opportunities to point to Christ, great conversations. We moved into this new neighborhood where no one comes outside of their house. Anybody have that same, same neighborhood? I'm like, what, what does everybody do in their house all the time? Like, what, don't you get tired of being in your houses? And so we, we've thought to ourselves, we, we were just like, man, God, how are you going to help us reach this community for Christ if like nobody comes out of their garages? They, they get in their car and then they leave directly to work and never to be seen again. And, and so we've been just praying for this. All right, well, God, 
I need, instead of me, my, my, if I'm going to confess, I've been like, man, this is just a hopeless community. They're all uh, seniors, no, so, no offense to that, uh, folks that in, a, no, no, in, that, in that, that neighborhood in particular, uh, that was bad, I shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> they, they don't seem to come out and live much, and, and, and they're all bound. And so we've just said like, oh man, I don't see if God's, how God's going to do anything in this community. I've been really convicted about that lately. Man, what would it look like if I pushed outside of the box? God, God what, what do you want us to do in this, in this neighborhood? How can we overcome that? Do we need to ring doorbells? Do we need to deliver chocolates? We, we on, uh, on um, uh, Halloween, we went around and uh, the kids were giving chocolates away. And we started saying, what would it look like if we broke outside of the box? We started ringing doorbells and going up and saying, hey, we're not asking for candy, but we just wanted to introduce ourselves. So we started doing that around our, our neighborhood, just saying, you know, what could God do if we started taking a little bit of risk in our community? For you, what is it? What box do you have of him? What, has, has he restri- what have you restricted his ability to do in and through your life? Because you have God, you have Scott size, or you fill in your own name, uh, size goals rather than God size goals. I went on a tangent there, but you get the idea. So... He's pointing to this fact. They've missed it with the, uh, Joseph. They've missed it with Moses. They missed it with the law. They missed it with the temple. And now he's about to really, I would suggest, make it personal in this very last section. And we'll end with this. Listen to his words here. Not exactly the best way to win a popularity contest. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Listen to these, these words. This is what it's all built towards. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced, the before, announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Whoo! That was a, that was pretty. That's that's a lot to swallow. I, I I think it's very important though to understand tone in that section because anybody ever send a text that was received maybe the wrong tone of what you intended? Anybody ever have that before? Anybody ever lose a friend because of a text that you sent with the wrong tone, where the tone was misinterpreted? I, I would, would just bring that up because I've heard of it happening with people. Um, but, but anyway, I was thinking about this as I was reading this. I was like, was he really? Because that sounded pretty confrontive in my opinion. But I almost think if you listen to those words through the tone of an appeal, of empathy, of a person that's filled, as it said earlier in the text, filled with grace, I get the sense that it's not an attack but it's literally, oh God, please open your open their eyes to see this. You stiff-necked people, why do you keep going back to this pattern of rejecting God's provision for you in your life? I see it as a as a heartfelt, passionate plea for a people that were this close to missing it again. Oh man, why do you go back to any? And but unfortunately, this was a crossroads for them 
they could have either humbly said, this would have been a, an awesome thing. It wouldn't have been cool if this story ended this way. The people in the room should have been like, you're totally right. You made a perfectly logical presentation of our history where we've rejected God's provision time and time again, His law, His temple, we've missed it all. Please, God, forgive us. Forgive us for what we've done to your son. Forgive us. Can you imagine that scene, how that would have radically changed the future of Israel if in that moment where it was brought before them, they recognized what he was trying to do, but instead, all they heard were personal attacks. All they heard was uncircumcised heart. You're going to call me, you're going to call me out. I, I, if, if, you know what I mean? Like they move straight to the negative tone in them, resisting the Holy Spirit. But aren't both of those things true? Isn't circumcision just a pointless ritual apart from a heart that's moved in the right direction? Isn't the, the rejection of the, the gospel, isn't that resisting the Holy Spirit? Isn't the, the, all of the things that he was bringing up were accurate, but would have taken great humility to acknowledge their need for the Savior. So all of these things pointing towards the pattern in Jewish history of missing it over and over again, even with Jesus Christ. It's trying to think how to personalize that and bring it back to, to real life, the, the present day life. And I think the most obvious would be for anyone that's in this room that's been exposed to Jesus Christ time and time again. You've heard me talk about it. You've heard others talk about it, but you've never bent a knee and embraced Jesus Christ. That would be the one and most obvious appeal, even going into this Christmas season. Don't miss it again. Don't miss it again. Accept the amazing free gift that Jesus Christ offers by what he's done for us, the free gift of dying for our sins, taking our place on the cross. Don't miss it again. For those of us, the rest of us, that maybe have a story, you're like, thankfully, God kept chasing me down until I finally embraced him. Thank you, God, for that. My hope is, as we're starting to race into this Christmas season, is that we don't miss the opportunities to connect with God intimately going into Christmas this stretch. Think about all the different appeals, all the different competing things. You can go, this next four weeks can pass, and you're like, you know what, I, I, I think Christmas happened. It was all kind of a blur to me, but I never really once connected with God intimately. What I've noticed in my own life, and maybe you've noticed this too, you almost have to plan for margins in your life that allow for you to connect with Christ in this season. Otherwise, the schedule takes over, the plans. So what if you carved out time just to take a walk? Imagine that. Breathe in the fresh air. Thank God for his provision. Take time to celebrate what he did by coming down as the form of a baby. Awesome opportunity. And then the last thing is for us not to miss, not to miss the opportunities that this season provides. Not to miss the catching the neighbor before they shut their garage door. Not to miss the opportunity to engage with someone at the workplace. Not to miss the opportunity to hand out the chocolate invite we gave you a couple weeks ago. Not to miss the opportunity to invite somebody to Christmas Cafe. Lots of things not to miss this season. I want to invite up the worship team, and we're going to make a little bit of a turn and transition 
as we're starting to go into this Christmas season, in the, kind of in the vein of not missing it, we're going to have an opportunity. We left two songs at the end here for us to even take that little step towards not missing engaging with Christ this Christmas. Go ahead, Jen. 